0: I am super sleepy. Just did not get enough sleep last night <clears throat> and late getting this done, but uh, we're just going to bang it out. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to pull it all together. Uh, hey, gang, it's uh, Mishka here again. Um, surprise, still me. Um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a crazy week, crazy uh, ten days. Um, the last week was actually crazy enough that I had to sort of split it into two headers. So I covered like my crazy day of uh, doing the moth, getting in a car accident, um, and uh, and reconnecting with my old friend Rich Roll. Um, the and then that weekend, I ended up having this like sort of. Um, I, I, you know, I ended that day just sort of like completely frazzled. Um, and kept getting the sort of lingering aftershocks of trauma of um the car accident sort of over the next couple of days. But I also I did a thing. I uh, the car that I wrecked was a Honda Element that I was actually in the process of selling uh, because I had gotten a new one uh, one, one year less old. I traded in my 2005 for a 2006. Um, and in the, I was in the process of fixing up the, the 2006 and I was waiting on two bolts, uh, to get it fixed so that I could drive that one. So, uh, so Thursday, the night of my accident, I was driving the old one cause so I didn't have those two bolts. Um, and, uh, destroyed, to- I, uh, I totaled, the old element, the one that I was trying to sell. Um, and then the next day, the two bolts I had been waiting for uh, showed up, and I was able to fix the other one and get it uh, get it up and running it on the road, which is so weird because you go back and forth with an accident saying, was I lucky, was I unlucky? You know, definitely unlucky. I was in the accident, lucky no one was hurt. And also on a surface level, just lucky that I was driving the old car, the one I was about to get rid of, and not the new one, I, the one I'd just gotten. Um, So I sort of took the weekend off um, to just uh, get out, and I I went car camping with my dog, um, which is not really something that I've done here. I I mean, it's been a long time, maybe 2017 or 2018, uh, since I camped with my family on the way up to Saskatchewan, but it's been a long time where I just sort of like drove out to the middle of nowhere and then hung out, Um, and... (laughs) um so a lot of layers to it because the since I've been in Arizona I've just sort of spent so much time in my house watching TV cursing Arizona and not getting out there to see what you know what the state had to offer for a minute there I was flirting with moving to Ohio and that got me thinking about like man I've been in Arizona for a long time and I haven't done any Arizona shit so the the new vehicle has all wheel drive so I actually got out there and, hey you know what? Arizona is beautiful, especially this time of year. Um, and also I'm out of practice at camping because I, (laughs) I was like really excited to get out there and put a bunch of stuff aside for the camping trip and then just left it all on the kitchen counter. And one of the things I left on the kitchen counter was a frying pan. (laughs) And so while I was out there camping and just sort of I mean it it looked like a Jeep commercial out there just these like beautiful vistas surrounded by mountains on all sides it was so beautiful and Sadie was like splashing around the water and having so much fun forgot the dog food forgot the frying pan forgot the sleeping bags um and uh I, I there's no way to to deal with this except to just to say it I shot a rabbit and then because I didn't have the frying pan I cooked it in a shovel over an open fire and, I don't know, now I'm the mayor of Hooverville. I don't know what the fuck that means. I, I, I feel it's like some weird white trash uh, hillbilly haiku. Like, I I just unlocked some new level of hobo uh you know, heretofore t- untapped. I don't know. I impressed even myself. Also, fucking delicious. I don't know how I did it. The It was like blackened in a shovel with uh, Spite Spice. And, uh, yeah, came out amazing. Then, uh, just, yeah just froze our asses off the, it is not really warm enough for camping yet, but, um, but yeah, it was an incredible weekend. Um, let's get into this right now. The, the, um, I guess the intro for my guest, uh, today, the, the, there is no theme to this podcast. The, the uniting theme is that uh, these are Um, these are people who I'm a fan of people who I want you to know about who I want the world at large to know about and, and my friends, you know, the, um, and the reason I wanted to have Kristen Becker on the show is because she's my friend and also because I'm a fan of her. I'm a fan of her comedy. I'm a fan of her work. I'm, uh, I'm a fan of how she moves through the world, uh, uh, up to, and including, uh, occasionally fighting with me. The the that's that's how I tell my best friends is that we we fight with each other sometimes, but Becker is really she's really done something remarkable um, from sort of a the small seed of an idea of uh, she lives in Provincetown she's from the south the she uh, you know just this idea of what if we took uh, LGBTQ kids from the south where it's exceptionally hard to be queer um and give them a summer in Provincetown where they can feel uh loved, accepted, celebrated part of a community um and then that sort of tiny little idea of um oh, you know, we'll get a couple of kids up to P Town to to work for the summer um has really just sort of blossomed into a really incredible really incredible thing. Um, it went from a, uh, a, a Kickstarter, uh, for one summer to now someone gifted them a almost $4 million home, uh, so that they can do this every year. And just let's call it what it is. Go out there and change lives. Um, it's such a great idea. And
1: I don't know. I've sort of, I've
0: been thinking about it so much since we did this podcast and sort of marveling at it. the, um, a, a very popular Instagram post is one about hirath, which is a uh, a Welsh word um, about you know sort of longing for uh, for one's home, um, a home that may or may not have existed, you know. And what's funny is that I think that's a universal feeling. You know, I remember hearing the song uh, "This World Is Not My Home." Uh, performed by David Dondero, and it just sort of like striking a chord in me that so many of us feel like we're misfits or outsiders or we don't belong or we're caught between worlds. And I'm a straight white man. I'm a fountain of privilege. Uh, the I... Jesus, if I don't belong, you know, I I like love, like guns and roses and trucks and shit like that. I like explosions. If I don't belong in America, where do I belong? You know, the, but, you know, imagine being, uh, a young gay, lesbian, queer trans kid in the South and, um, not just being of a culture, part of a culture that seeks to undo you, that tells you that you don't exist, um, that that won't uh, that won't just not accept you, it doesn't accept that you're real um, and then also seeks to actively destroy you. Um, I wake up every morning and I go to reddit and read the the news at while I'm drinking my coffee some of the shit that I'm reading, it's just like, in the last 10 years, The Onion has ceased to be funny because the news has become more of a parody than The Onion ever could be. And it's just so fun. I mean, especially with this, it's uh, Wednesday, March 29th as I'm uh, recording this. It's trans people have been, there has been a war on trans people, I don't know, for for eternity the, um, we hate what we don't understand. That's a, um, that's a thread that runs through humanity, but, um, you know, trans folks are at a 400% risk for, um, for serious crime up to and including, uh, sexual assault, rape, death. Um, and, uh, so it was sort of this, this covert war on trans people. And then now the Republican party has really seized on that and made that their bread and butter and is turning uh, trans folks into a, a boogeyman. Um, the BLM was a boogeyman and Tifa was a boogeyman. And then now it's like, it's trans kids and it's drag shows and it's fucking ridiculous. It's just like uh, smoke and mirrors from the, the GOP of, uh, you know, look at this, so you don't see that we're systematically stripping you of your money, your livelihood, your rights, your life, um, your right to life. But uh, I don't know; it's just gone over the top the last couple of years, and it's fucking disgusting, and it's like, it's really just heartbreaking. Um, but. I don't know. It's, it's timely, uh, with this podcast. Um, it was, I don't know why it's taken me so long to have Becker on. Uh, she's, she's a perfect candidate for this podcast. And the, um, some of my friends are just sort of hidden in plain view. I, I don't approach this with any, uh, with any method. I just, um, see somebody's tweet or Instagram post or something. And then I'm like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta have them on. But, um, Becker and I really had a fantastic conversation um about about her journey and about uh the journey of Summer of Sass uh, which you can look up at summerofsass.org. It's not often that I shill for something other than people just buying my t-shirts, but if you have an extra uh 10 bucks or 4 million dollars uh kicking around, uh go over to summerofsass.org and uh and pitch in. Um it's really it's just an incredible thing that they're doing. Um, they're showing people who have never felt home what home feels like, and that's that's pretty radical. Um, Kristen Becker is also just funny as hell. The Not everything we do in this life has to be uh, beautiful or poignant. Sometimes it can just be fucking hilarious. Um, but this is, yeah, this is a good one. I'm really proud of this conversation. Uh, please enjoy my conversation with my friend Kristen Becker.
1: Mr. Sherbali is
0: catching up with friends who are arguably more talented than him. Before Before we go into any further into this filth, the uh how are you? You said you're um you're just getting over COVID? Yeah. I got COVID. I'm I'm okay. It was,
1: uh, I'm still a little tired. I tested negative like three days ago. Um, I don't know. I guess I was begging for it. I was due for a booster, but I thought I was living a pretty isolated life, but had a bunch of stuff going on and definitely wasn't at peak immunity. That's for sure. So,
0: yeah. Is it your, your first time getting it or?
1: No, I've had it once for sure confirmed and once suspected, um, but Katie can't now, now my girlfriend has it. Cause we thought I had gotten it from her. So we didn't like take precautions yep. and turns out that's not what she had at all. So, um, but she saw this, the, the t-shirt, the, by the 10th infection, all the mice are dead. Have you heard of this? No. So Katie comes to me while I have COVID and she just goes, I want you to, I saw this on Twitter and it's just a guy who, Said his wife won't let him wear his T-shirt. And the T-shirt says, after the 10th infection, all the mice were dead. And it's a COVID thing. And I can't fucking stop thinking about it now. I'm just like, wait, how many infections have I had? How many How many years do
0: I have left? Well, I, I mean, I was just thinking that I finally found a way to get rid of the mice in my house.
1: <laughs> Give them all COVID.
0: <laughs> I'm a silver linings kind of guy. You know? I like it. I like it. It's, it's the only thing that works yeah <laughs> the, uh...
1: there was something like it's so like conspiracy theory fringy but there's also something about it that i'm like honestly i'd like a nice round number to know what i'm working with <laughs> and i can base my caution and expedite my demise or prolong my life
0: <laughs> i mean that's the thing about uh covid that i think has been frustrating for those of us who um who sort of have a brain and are trying to move through this quagmire intelligently is that um you know, there's what we know to be true. And then also we have that creative brain that's like, man, it's way more interesting if it is like a super bug created by a lab in Wuhan where there, it's, a, right? a China, you know, it's a, the nanobots a weapon by the Chinese that, you know, and like that shit's way more interesting. I, I get why people believe in conspiracy theories, because if your life is boring and you just go into conspiracy theories, everything is so much more interesting.
1: I just struggle with how the same people who are into conspiracy theories are also so unimaginative when it comes to their reality, right? Like, they're like, one man, one woman. Like, what? Like, like the things you can come up with outside of like your real life and like, let your brain expand in these, quite frankly, incredible ways. Right. And then when you get to your reality, you're like, they all look like this. One's got an innie, one's got an outie, you put them into each other. That's it. No variations. Don't no try any other holes, you know? <laughs> like,
0: yeah. I, the, yeah. Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, but also have you heard about Area 51? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's, I have, my new thing has been that the stakes, the snake's name was Steve, right? Like that's <laughs> that's my new thing. Now, whenever anybody says Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, I was like, ah, but what was the, what was the serpent's name? Definitely Steve.
0: That, that's good. That's solid. The, uh, it's, it's not the selective outrage that, that should piss us off. It's the selective creativity. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Open your mind. The um, Becker, how are you? I feel like the last time that you and I sat down for a conversation was uh, one of the tables in the parking lot outside altercation a year and a half ago. This
1: tracks. That's right. And I missed yeah. it this year and I was sad.
0: I will never the, uh, miss it again. It is, it is like just the best, you know, sort of, uh, I almost said comedy daycare, uh, comedy sleepaway camp ever and the the parking lot is its own uh it's its own vibe too the but um yeah no
1: you can it's i have a hard time deciding where i want to be because obviously you want to watch the comedy but also we've all seen comedy right so like there's that that need to socialize awkwardly with other people yeah that get it
0: i feel like in order to do altercation right you have to be like three or four people and have one person in there watching for your new favorite comic. And then also out in the parking lot trading war stories with um with old friends. And the and then one of you uh staying up until six in the morning, uh eating the, a- the acid, uh taking the Molly, whatever, and then another one of you to like just sleep.
1: Yes, <laughs> that seems accurate. <laughs> it's, it's a lot.
0: The, oh, I think the
1: last time I saw you, you were you had had some mushrooms, I think, is what had happened.
0: That was sounds that accurate. That, that tracks. I think
1: that was because I don't think I'd ever seen you not. I don't think I, we'd ever encountered each other in such a way. And it was fun.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it is. I feel like it's unsettling for people to just see me like sit there and grin.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I encourage it. I like it.
0: It's like it, if you saw Eeyore beatboxing or something like that. It just it just feels <laughs> it just feels out of character. But um, I feel like you're such a hard worker that you're always doing shit. You're always writing new stuff. You're always mm-hmm. on the road performing, and then also doing crazy shit out there in P-town. Crazy shit.
1: No, it's cr- shit is crazy right now. There's definitely no, there's like never in a million years. I think somebody's going to be like, "Here's three point seven million dollars. See what you can do with it." You know, like it's it's but, next level. So yeah, we have a house let's, now.
0: Let's dive into that. Tell tell that the whole story from the sort of genesis of the idea to.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Summer of Sass is a not-for-profit that I founded about five years ago, five years ago going into Eight. six. And it was honestly born out of the Loose in the Bible Belt tour. So when I was on tour with Jay Baker, pastor, you know, I had this big idea to go through the South and can we bring people together and make them have awkward, you know, awkward experiences? Like the idea of bringing a pastor and like my dirty fisting jokes into a space was to get other humans into a space and have everyone be uncomfortable at a different time right? Like that is to me where the fucking magic happens. Cause usually you get everybody of one genre with all their likes and all the people like them watching the things that they like, and they share these emotions together, right? Rarely do you have somebody from the other side or perceived, not your team, whatever, if we're not picking sides, but not your team. And, you know, they're uncomfortable while someone's, praying. So you, you know, lesbians get, (laughs) my atheist friends get real uncomfortable when someone, when Jesus, when uh, Jay's preaching. Right. And then the Christian people get real uncomfortable when I'm telling my dirty lesbian jokes. And so you get the shared experience of being comfortable and being uncomfortable. Right next to somebody else, it's not like we split up the sides like it's a fucking wedding, right? Like people come in and they sit wherever they sit, and then you realize you're sitting next to someone who's very connected to the preaching, and then that person's sitting next to somebody who's uncomfortable by the preaching but very connected by the dirty jokes, right? And so out of that um, Wait, let me, kind of let came me, while we were me, on tour. Let me stop
0: you here yeah. and, and just tell you what you already know to be true, which is that that's a fucking brilliant premise. Of bringing people together in moments of shared com- comfort and shared discomfort. It's so fucking smart.
1: Thanks. I, it, it's definitely something that like the, that we knew based on the conversations that happened after the shows, right? Like, it, I, I, it wasn't something I knew was going to happen. I wish mm-hmm. I could say I was that smart. I knew that it was important to try to get people who might be closer to the middle than they thought to try to meet there, right? Like, mm-hmm. to, like, start to motivate the moderates. Because I wasn't shocked by Trump, right? Like if you lived in the South, you're around, the, you, we could see it coming, right? Yep. And so yep. we were trying to like build the bridges, motivate the moderates, like all the things that you're supposed to do to get the sane people to stand up, right? Yep. And so it was out of Loose in the Bible Belt that I was in Freeport, Shre- which is my where I went to high school in Louisiana and it was my 20 like right around my 20th high school reunion and there was an article about a kid who had to graduate high school early because he had been bullied so bad for being gay and there was just something about it being 20 years since i had graduated and the story being the same right like that well yeah. nothing has changed here this kid is telling my story and had it not been around my 20th anniversary maybe an, or a reunion high school reunion i might not have like it might not have connected but it hit me pretty hard and uh and i knew that I was in a place where we needed summer workers. Like Provincetown is in is a wealthy queer vacation. I mean, everyone vacation destination Cape Cod is for everybody, and P town gets a lot of wealthy LGBTQ tourists. And so I was like, let's bring these kids up here, let's give them a summer to just be themselves, right? Like if you're if you're the kid with purple hair in Tyler, Texas, or you know Grand Celine, Texas. Everyone stares at you everywhere you go, and so you develop this anxiety of just constantly being watched and monitored and, like, looking for the devil in you, you know, like – And take those kids and just let them be here, where like their freak flag doesn't even register. You know what I mean? Like no one's paying attention to the kid with purple hair. Everybody's got something going on, you know. And
0: and that's totally that's totally transformative for people. I mean, you know, one of the things that uh, I found just from being on tour with Jake Flores, the both of us fucking you know straight bros, um, but the playing these smaller markets, playing these little towns, the the kid in the Nine Inch Nails shirt would show up. Because that kid goes to every fucking hardcore show, every uh, like every gutter punk show, anything that's that has any kind of subculture whatsoever. They go to that in hopes that they'll meet people like them because they're such outcasts.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it is so the idea. I mean, it's so not just sexuality right it's any sort of presentation that's outside that's other like the way the outlier is demonized at this point in our society is mind-blowing to me it's really reaching a point where i'm like holy shit and and to the point where like i'm going to memphis at the end of the month and like to the point where like the southerner in me is like you got to go like just check in with the south and see how much of this is um i mean obviously it's bad but like how much is it, like because i'm getting a little afraid and and I've always been like, I'm not really afraid of the South or my friends. Like, you know, and it's it's I don't know. It's just really interesting where we're at right now. It's fucking wild. Anyway, sorry, off, off topic.
0: I the um no, we have, we have plenty of time for off off topic. Okay, shit. cool. The but I mean, you know, Memphis is a great place to go and check in with the South because it's got all the good and all the bad right there. Um, it,
1: it it does. And this place that I'm playing, Drew's Bar, has always been, for me, I mean, since I started Dykes of Hazard, like, my entire stand-up career, I've stopped at what I consider a quintessential Southern queer bar, right? Like, you smoke inside, there's whiskey in the back, and they don't have their license. You know what I mean? Like, just like a community space, your, the bartender's birthday is going to be a party. Happy birthday, Jenna. You know, like it's just (laughs) the place where like, it's, it's construction workers and drag Queens and everybody, because that's your neighborhood bar. And so, you know, I talked to the owner and she's like, we might have to be an adult, an adult club, you know? And so what I'm really interested in is, the definition of drag because I've been wearing boxer briefs since I was 18, bro. Like I wear man pants every day. Like yes. I'm technically illegal everywhere I go in the state of Tennessee because I am head to toe dressed in men's clothes. Yeah. And if you follow the letter of the law, that's terrifying. Right. Like, cause then I, because I have a mouth and I am used to mouthing off to people in authority when they're being dicks because I'm a white lady. Right. <laughs> And that's what we do. Uh, But now I'm like, oh, shit, when I'm there, make sure to mind my P's and Q's because I am now a walking reason to arrest me. So I think that people don't give enough credit to how oppressive that is. Just saying, hey, who you are is enough for me to arrest you. I think white people don't realize that enough. People of color absolutely realize that enough. But that who you are walking around in your skin is enough. You don't have to do fucking anything else. I have the power here. I'm the authority. I have, it's on the books now. So act accordingly.
0: Right. I think most people too, you know, when they conceptualize drag, they, they think about, you know, uh, three inch heels and a feather boa and, and whatnot. But the, but the point is that drag is not a costume. It's who people are at their core. And that's what they're after it's i mean it's really the you know i wondered you know it's like and an, for a while antifa was the you know was the boogeyman was the fall guy mm-hmm. and then suddenly and then i feel like in the last 6 8 months there's been this really malign shift that it's just queer and trans kids and and that's the boogeyman i can't tell you how many conversations i've had with straight white bros about women swimming and i'm like bro you do not care about women swimming right what is this about what is this really about you know what's what's at the core here you don't care about gymnastics what is it yeah like the and you have to sort of burrow down into it and it's the it's fucking it's male fear it's homophobia it's transphobia you know the it's
1: male fear it's homophobia transphobia it's also this thing that like is uh removing very important conversations from the table that need to be had right like like uh, why is swimming gendered anyway Like, 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 like when we look at when we look at how our society was established in these gendered ways, it was established that way because women didn't get rights to do any of these things until well after they were already established and running. Right. And so they're like, well, let's make a woman. So if we have a chance to redo it, I'm kind of like, why are we putting gender in anything in any of the sports Wait height age are perfectly acceptable reasons to categorize young kids playing sports and their locker rooms have been separate anyway and this we can get into the the transits of the locker room and all of that but i don't i don't know i just i i just feel like this idea there is you know a friend of mine who's a trans woman who plays in a football league was like maybe I'm just better at football because I was allowed to play football my whole life. Cause I grew up living as a boy. Right. And, and mm-hmm. and I think there was a lot to be said for that. It's like, there are women who were there, you know, cis born women who um, were just as strong as she was, but she may have had an edge and she admitted it, but it was because she was allowed to play football since she was six. And yeah. not a lot of times do girls get the opportunity to do that. Right. So, yeah.
0: She had the yeah, I don't 000. understand
1: why this the concept of spectrum is just so hard for people to get. That's the part I don't understand. That like, like I keep, I always think about like Rogan and Stanhope, right? And I'm like, look, how can you tell me that this is the same gender? Like, how can you tell me, like, when you, when, when you just, it's not. You know what I mean? Like, it's so clear. Like, there's going to be men who are on the far masculine end of the spectrum, and that is your, and that's okay. That's not like they're, but this idea that all of us, all of them, should be in that corner, like. I am a, a a spectrumist. I believe that if we stopped everything and like really looked at where everyone could fall on a real spectrum and not try to stick us into corners, we'd be a lot happier. And I think people would be less inclined to surgically change their bodies, too. Truthfully, I think if someone was allowed to exist safely, uh, not having to fit into one man, one woman, which was the thing they created for queer people, become one of these and then and as soon as we start becoming one of those they get pissed off too like like no we tried to have a have a have a beard and tits and a dick and you got mad so you told us to be one or the other so now we're doing that and you're still fucking mad like like my people are surgically cutting parts off of them to fit into your idea of what it means to be how they feel
0: inside and you're pissed it's crazy they're pissed because pissed is what they want to be. They want to be angry about something and the, and, you know, and and that's why I think that's why it's convenient to demonize, um, to demonize queer folks, to demonize um, trans folks um, is because then they have, they can direct, you know, it's, it's sort of the pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, you know, the um, it's a misdirect, Um, but yeah, it's, they're angry because angry is what they want to be. Uh, but um,
1: the but, amount but, of boob jobs in Dallas alone, like the amount the amount of perfectly socially acceptable, straight gender affirming care, the amount of people who bitch and moan about autonomy and like their own rights and their freedoms and and this their inability to let another human do something to their body. What the fuck do you care? Yeah. Why do you care what someone does to their body?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I I think at the end of the day, it's that people really, really don't care about what other people do to their bodies. It's a projection of themselves. So that's what I'm always sort of like trying to scrape the layers away of like, why, why does that, um, what, what, what is the threat to you? What is so threatening about a trans kid? You know, the.
1: But it's the same mentality of like, this is going to sound fucked but maybe like <laughs> I, well i was just thinking about how and uh, i was in high school it was always like save the babies right it's because they believe they do believe that they're saving children from the devil mm-hmm. like there are definitely sex i have a kid gonna join the program that parents are literally like you're from the devil because religion does that to people right and so it becomes this thing where people believe it- when you get children involved Good people believe it's their duty to protect those children, right? And that is what the right figured the ext- right extreme figured out is like if you, they did it with abortion and they got everybody on board and you saved the babies. Got it. Okay. Now the children are being sexualized. Stop it. While churches are literally fucking children. Like it's, <laughs> it's like mind blowing to me. And not even paying taxes, fucking children tax free.
0: Yeah. The, um, I I think a lot of it has to do with just, you know, sort of what we were talking about initially is the, um, comfortable or uncomfortable, you know, that, um, one of the reasons why the human brain or why we're encouraged or default to binary thinking to think about you know black and white man or woman is because that's really simple for a primitive mind to say they're the bad guys we're the good guys we got to protect the the good guys from the bad guys and then we feel um uh, more than more than just comfortable we feel like we belong and like we have a purpose you know and i mean uh, i was talking to my editor yesterday about how to tell a story, how to create a narrative. And the first thing you do in order to create a narrative is have there be a good guy and a bad guy. That's what drives it forward. That's where that energy comes from. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's too convenient, but I think that there is, I think there's an evolutionary argument for why people, why the human brain loves binaries is because if we say friend or foe, food or poison, that's a simple, um, that's a real simple conversation. You know, the, it's immediate and it's simple. It's are you a zero or are you a one? You know, there's this dr- but, clip. Of, go ahead.
1: No, it just seems like yes. And it, isn't this like the result of human evolution? Like, is it, isn't the, have you met a baby lately? Yeah. They're fucking geniuses. Have you met like a new, fresh out of the fresh smell, new, new baby smell? Like they get to be about one or two right now. They know shit they should not know until they're like four. Like humans are evolving before our eyes. When you look at like how quickly our brains, technology advances
0: at happen age, just from, say, the moon. At, at that age, they're just sucking up all the information, you know? I just think we
1: are evolving as humans, and I feel like we're like – I I think being a bisexual is probably the most evolved state, right? Like I'm kind of pissed I can't suck a dick to be honest. It seems like <laughs> – I feel the same seems way. Like, <laughs> it seems like that's the state, right, where you're like you've had – you've evolved as a human. I yeah. don't know. I just, I just feel like yes to the binary, and yes, that's what we've existed in, but like isn't – aren't we do – to, like, level up a little bit in the way we treat each other. It just seems like we've leveled up in every other way. Yeah. We can fly planes. I can listen to you from Phoenix on this fucking thing in my ear. And, like, we can't figure out how to be nice to somebody who looks different than us. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs>
0: like... there's, there's this clip of Jordan Peterson going around where he's, you know, saying the – um Saying, like, oh, if you're a man, I know how to, I know how to treat you, I know how to talk to you. If you're a woman, I know how to treat you or I know how to talk to you. But like, if you what is this gender non-binary? Like the um those, those are just made up words. I, you know, and, and when somebody says they're non-binary, I have no idea how to treat them. And I'm like, bro, this is the most compelling argument for non-binary ever. Number one, man and woman, those are fucking made up words. All words are made up, all right? That we assign the meaning, the meaning has changed or not changed, that we decide language language serves us, you know? And then the with to identify as non-binary, what you're demanding is uh, uh, I, I require you to to meet me on my terms and to experiencing me, to experience me as an individual. And isn't that fucking what we all want?
1: <laughs> it's so simple. It, it, it blows my mind the idea. And it's and listen, it took me a while to be clear. I have friends who you know in the early 2000s we're identifying as trans and I was like I don't know bro Are you sure you want to you know what I mean like I was definitely <laughs> that dyke right uh-huh. like <clears throat> but then when you get to a place of like oh wait like you're a part all you're asking me is to not make assumptions about about you that's all you're asking me to do is yeah. to not make assumptions about you which is against our hardwiring right like that is our survival right you we that's what our brain is wired to do but it just feels like we should be reaching a point where we can kind of see people just as humans just you're human and accept that through generations we've surgically cut off parts and like like erased any of the middle of the spectrum right like hermaphrodites like all like there are variations to the human body that just naturally occur. And that is because your God is an artist. Let him fucking create. Like, I'm always like, if I was God, I'd be so pissed at my followers. (laughs) Like, every day, like, like he's had a build a bear and just making the same fucking bear every day. (laughs) And then one day he's like, let's put a little glitter on it. And here's my bear. And everybody's like, boo, God. (laughs) Make me a cop, bear. (laughs) Boo. (laughs)
0: i love your i love your point though that like getting a harley davidson tattoo is gender reaffirming uh surgery yeah (laughs) no like like,
1: i just don't know why we care so much what other people do with their bodies and i don't know why anyone doesn't realize that drag is theater and art and expression and it's simple it's not a purple dinosaur but not a not a dress and good makeup like i don't know Fuck a man, it's really hard right <laughs> now. It's hard to like not hate everybody and I have a a great life and everything's going wonderfully for me and I'm just like so frustrated when I talk to these kids who are like just trying their best to make it out alive. and everywhere, you know when I was growing up, I knew that I was different. I knew that I didn't quite fit in and people in my high school knew that and they said some shit for sure. but when I went home, Nine, with the exception of like David Duke, most politicians and leaders were decent human beings who weren't creating sound bites for clicks. So all of this vitriol didn't exist. And now when a kid comes home, somebody in their neighborhood has a yard sign for a politician who just publicly said they should all be eradicated. Right. Like, and that is a level of mental oppression on this generation that I didn't experience. And I don't think anyone. Before, I don't want to say Cheney, but who was the, there was one guy who really started this bullshittery, I can't think of that old white guy's name, but where they just kind of made the politics vitriol and they just really cranked up the way it was acceptable to talk shit towards other citizens. You know, Mm -hmm. we've lost the civil discourse.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I do think that we are evolving and also as uh, sort of the evolution gets louder, um, the the primitive aspects of humanity is that's getting louder, too. You know? Yeah. And so it's sort of like both things happening at the same time. And uh, it makes it real scary when they clash. The let's get back to uh, the kids and Summer of Sass. Oh,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so uh, was on tour 20 and 20 uh, year high school reunion Kids still here, and I know we needed workers here. So I said, I'll just bring some kids up. I started a GoFundMe. I raised around $2,500. I talked to people in town who maybe would rent a room out in their house to, to, you know, we get a lot of workers, uh, J-1 visa workers come from overseas, just summer staff. We go from like a 3,000 person town to any given Saturday, we get 50,000 people that show up and a new 50,000 people every week, right? Like it's a tourist economy. And so the first year, yeah, was a GoFundMe. The second year, I got a grant for $25,000, rented a couple uh, seasonal apartments, summer apartments, brought in a few kids. And then, you know, the pandemic started and the housing market went crazy. And it seemed like no matter how much money I raised, there was never enough because anyone who could work remotely could now come live in P-Town for the summer and work from their laptop. And so the housing market just got absorbed, like all the the worker housing and affordable housing, if you want to call it servants quarters, as we've been jokingly calling it, got all absorbed. And so it became pretty clear that summer of SAS as someone who was trying to secure summer housing was becoming unsustainable. And so for the five year anniversary party, I brought, um, or fundraiser, I brought like six kids from the past, uh, five years. And, They told their stories and I said, listen, this is the kids we've saved. And if I'm done saving kids, that's great. You know, um, we did a great job. If you have the money and you want to give us money, I need to buy a house. And then, uh, about three days later, I got an email with some, from somebody who was like, we'd like to sit down and talk to you. We'd like to buy you a house. And the original offer was 2.5 million and it was wild. And then, The house we wanted to get, we couldn't get. And this one was 3.7. They said, we think you should have that one. And now, (laughs) yeah, so then they wired, I made them wire the money before they went on a vacation because if they crashed in the Alps, no one would believe me. (laughs) True story. (laughs) True fucking story. No, I was like, listen, because that's, you know, it's big money. And so it takes a minute for it to transfer or whatever. And I, I was like, listen. It's not that I don't trust you, but I need to fundraise before the end of the year because that's when the giving season happens, and I need to know that money's in my account, even if the sale doesn't go through until after you come back. Because if you die, I no trust one's you. Believe me, I trust you. I just don't <laughs>
0: trust God.
1: Precisely, <laughs> exactly, yes. Um, and so, yeah. So we are now the Summer of Sass Inc. is the proud owner of a eight room Victorian mansion from the eighteen hundreds. And we will service eight kids this summer, and then up to twelve next year. So, like a, a a scaled growth, and we're in the process of building out the programming. And now it can obviously be a year-round thing. So, you know, uh, the idea is that we create. And I will tell you, Mishka, I tell people this all the time, and it hit. You trust me. No one wants to credit a straight white dude with a good idea any less than I do, but. <laughs> I remember us talking and you saying that, you know, it, when queers and minorities and, and people of color and and start taking care of themselves, that's how you really smash the patriarchy. And that has been a thread that has run through the work that I've done here. And I, t- and I tell them this story that it was probably the best thing I've ever heard for young queers. And that's why, you know, our tagline is happy, healthy humans. And that's what we do. Like my job is to help these young adults figure out how to live their best lives, to be happy, healthy humans, and to be independent because a lot of them don't have family support. So we've got about two years to like take them in at between 18 and 20 and teach them life skills, teach them how to take care of their mental health, teach them how to take care of their physical health, and how to do a budget, and how to cook some food, and just how to exist as a person that's it. Like, we're just trying to give them a little help in existing like a person and becoming a happy, healthy human. And it it is very much, I I credit you, I tell every new kid that comes in here, hears that at some point.
0: Man, I was just about to ask you if you cried when you got the money and now you're making me Mm -hmm. well up. Cause I remember (laughs) that conversation. I remember talking and I, you know, the you know listening to you talk about this and and thinking you know thinking about you sort of going back to help kids who are going through um going through shit that that you went through without anybody helping you without a program like this to help you the i you know i feel you know I know you to be a pretty tough person that you can take a lot of shit and that you have taken a lot of shit, but also some of this has to be tremendously emotionally taxing for you to, to reconnect with kids who are at that sort of most vulnerable age that still resonates inside you, you know?
1: I think there's definitely that. I mean, you know, I I got, my it wasn't easy for sure like I definitely had a couple years where it was dicey honestly in my own brain uh as a teenager and you know being a a cool kid on the sports team and then they find out you're gay and no one talks to you your senior year like I was that kid right like my sorority I thought I was only gay for my girlfriend in high school. And so I pledged a sorority and they thought I was really cool for the first semester. And then they heard I might've been gay in high school and then I wasn't cool in my sorority anymore. Right. So like I've kind of always been the person who has been accepted and then someone heard I might be gay and then I wasn't cool. Right. And then I moved to college and kind of came into my own in a way where I don't know, you know, it's interesting. I, I have very sarcastic parents. I had a, probably not very emotionally balanced upbringing and thank god for that because it creates a level of trauma resistance that like (laughs) i mean it just really does like my girlfriend right now had really great loving parents and like sometimes she's like damn i'm not prepared for any trauma because i was treated so kindly and so lovingly and then now both of her parents passed away and like she's like holy fuck i wasn't ready for this And then I look on the flip side and I'm like, oh, like maybe there's some truth to that emotional abuse from childhood that I've turned into some good, you know. I mean it definitely – it definitely – there are times where right now specifically where what some of the kids are going through is harder than I ever experienced and I'm having a really hard time with it. Um, I also – have a level of detachment because I think it's important when you're supporting another person that your needs don't get in the way. Right. And so like I'm I don't do this to fill a hole in my heart because I want kids. Right. Like when my, my kids, you know, like I don't. Like when my kids yeah. come here, I say to them, You have a family, and if you don't, like obviously we are that, but like most of these kids have parents somewhere, and our job is to support them as they navigate how they're going to navigate that relationship. We just make it so the only option isn't their abusive home. Right. Like Uh I work with kids who, you know, are in therapy. And after a year and a half, they're like, I want to try to talk to my parents about this or I want to. And we're like, yeah, you should. Like we like we we want you to do. We want I I keep a level of detachment so I can support them as fully as they need to be supported. Right. Like we meet them where they are. We help them get where they're going. That means I don't judge where they're coming from and I have no business telling them where they're going. Right. Mm -hmm. All I can do is say, what are your goals? All right, I'm going to try to help you meet them as best I can. And for them to participate in the program, they also have to show up for themselves. So there's accountability, right? Like I'm going to show up for you as much as you show up for yourself. And that's what we do. And it's been working. It's been this age group specifically really likes it if you don't bullshit them Mm -hmm. and if you let them – Feel like they're in charge of their own destiny, really, <laughs> right? Like, and, and tell them they're worth something. That's really when you come from a place where the only people who look like you are unemployed or, you know, can't get a job because no one will hire them because of how they look or how they talk or how limp their wrist is or any of those things. And then you bring them somewhere and people who look just like them have million dollar houses. It does wonders for your self-esteem. Like, you're really... <laughs> You know, that visibility matters thing. People are always like, visibility matters when you see successful queers and successful trans people and people of color. But it also matters when all you see are people who have been shit on their whole lives, right? If you're in a small town somewhere and there's like, hey, there's gay Larry. He's a fucking drunk. Watch out. You know, and like, you're like, I'm gay. I'm going to be gay Larry. You know, (laughs) (laughs) you're like, I don't feel like gay Larry. I remember. I was convinced that I was not a lesbian. I was convinced that I just had a crush on my best friend in high school because lesbians were weird. Like that was, that's what you do. You create your own reality because what you've been told about being a queer person is so not what you feel or identify like that you're like, wait, I don't feel at all like a pedophile weird. Like (laughs) I You know, I,
0: I I still, um, you know, it's like just a moment in, you know, the sort of like frozen in my head or a moment that's still happening is the Obama bending down. So like a, a little black boy could touch his hair to, to see that his hair felt like Obama's hair. And it's, it's like, man, in, in that moment with that gesture, you changed that kid's life forever. And every black American to see that, oh, he's one of us. I don't, I don't have to be the fucking the garbage man, or I don't have to be the homeless guy. I don't have to be a wino. The, I can be this too. And there's, and now we have proof, right? The, mm-hmm. there There mm-hmm. is a guy doing that job right now with hair like mine, you know, the um it's, and it's the kind of thing that we can sort of like talk about and uh, it's, but there's no substitute for the fucking real thing of just seeing um, successful gay people in positions of power, successful women in positions of power. You know the success. You know success. Successful black people in positions of power. The people who have historically been stepped on because of who they are, because of how they were born. To see them succeeding, it it changes and something it, in people.
1: That point to seeing them in power is you know is a very key component because it's not just you know. Uh, I have friends who produce stuff and they're like, Oh, we booked all these, you know, we booked people of color and we booked lesbians and where, where are they? They didn't show up to the show. I was like, well, who was at the table when your marketing budget was decided? Were there any people of color or any lesbians or was it just, you know, white gay guys or white straight guys? Or cause those are the two circuits I hang out in is either white straight dudes or white gay dudes. (laughs) Um, You're all very similar by the way, just so you know, (laughs) Like, there's really not that much difference at all, except one of them is getting way more blowjobs, and it's not the straight guys. Okay. Um, but, uh, that's funny because I like, I I don't, I
0: always like fucking bonded with lesbians because it's like the, um, because it's like we're tight, we're fucking cheap, the, and, uh, and we like fixing shit ourselves. And the, so I always get along real good with lesbians. There's a,
1: there's a level of independence that lesbians are into. It's our vibe.
0: Yeah. One of the things I want to talk, like, I want to sort of really push down into this is the, um, it's best to frame it in in just the most problematic language, you know, uh, whatsoever. The, what gave you the balls to ask for fucking $2.5 million? That's fucking insane. How, where did you find the courage? Well, I never had to, to I never had
1: to. I got to tell you, I don't know. Uh, You know what it was? It wasn't confidence as much as I knew it was the only answer. And I knew that I was done doing this on a shoestring while while being surrounded by a lot of wealth. Like David Geffen's yacht hangs out in a harbor for two weeks every year. Like there is money here, right? Not everybody, you know, but it is here. And so – There was this moment where I just knew, you know, I talked to my partner and like we had really realized that I was essentially running an entire business on a, you know, a $4,000 stipend every year that I paid myself. And, and it was taking a lot of my time and energy and it, it, you know, kind of similar to how helium and Buffalo happened where like I had spent five, six years on a project and it's either you get it to the next level Or you know, you've got to kind of put it down, and so you do this last push. And this was my last push of like, I didn't ask for an amount, I just knew what it would cost. I thought I was going to get a million dollars, I was going to buy a two bedroom cottage, I was going to help four kids a year. Boom, 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 did it. I'm a lifesaver, incredible, right? And instead, it was 3.7 million, and a house, and a commitment to uh. Cover 25% of my operating budget for a few years while we get going up to like, you know, 50k. And, you know, just like this large commitment. And then what happened? That's when I got balls. Like once this house came in, then what happens is everyone else goes, Oh, someone give you that much money. You must know what you're doing. Here you go. Like money begets money, right? Not that we, I mean, obviously we're still fundraising and still need money because we have now an eight room mansion that has a thousand dollar, you know, heating bill, but
0: we don't have a mortgage. (laughs) I just, I, I remember, I mean, maybe it was the first year that you did it and the, to go from $1,500, I, I kicked in a hundred bucks one of those years. And I've been patting myself on the fucking back for that ever since. And then you got a nearly four million dollar house to to parlay that initial the that initial fifteen hundred dollar uh, GoFundMe to a uh, uh, nearly four million dollar house. The what that proves is you had a fucking brilliant idea. You recognized the need in a moment of shepherding these kids through one of the most difficult parts of their lives. You know, the, I really think that, what is it? 12 to 18 that you're taking?
1: No, 18 to 20. So they've got to be 20. old enough that like a lot of kids lose, get kicked out. Right. So as soon as right. they get 18, if their parents don't want anything to do with them. And then I learned the first year I did 18 to 24. No, 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 no. That's not for me. Um
0: <laughs> There's a limit to human caring, and it cuts off at (laughs) twenty.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. I still need you to think that I'm a parent adjacent person, like to listen to me, but also because I recognize. All right, so you're queer in the south. You get to be gay at the bar. Right. Like that's where I got to be gay. I got to go to Central Station in Shreveport. I got snuck in by well-intended older homosexuals who knew it was safe for me to be there. And no one got creepy with me. No one got weird. But they just let me in because that's where people like me went. Right. Mm -hmm. But when we look at the queer community and we look at our connection to intimacy and sexuality, it is directly connected to a drink in our hands because most of southern rural us you can only show that affection in a bar so your entire emotional makeup and your sense of self and intimacy and being yourself is connected to alcohol and this is what i challenged my community here with was like why did we build this beautiful place where you can be gay and walk down the street and hold hands and you can do it at the library and you can do it at the grocery store and not in one neighborhood in anywhere in the town you can be yourself and you can learn how to express intimacy and you can learn how to be emotionally vulnerable and you can do it all without having a drink in your hand. And what a wonderful opportunity in these two years to try to heal the queer community in a way for the next generation. So we're not all just shit hammered all the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, from my experience, uh, working, in clubs in New York, uh, you know, Friday, Saturday, we had the big, you know, sort of gay disco dance parties and the, and that's where everybody made the bulk of their money because, um, you know, because all the gays came out and drank and partied and were incredibly well-behaved and, and, you know, threw around tons of money because the, because they were smart and they were driven and they worked hard and they got fucking shit faced, um, because you had to. You know, and it's and it was and and that's one of the things that um I mean this is my soapbox is how um alcohol has become an integral part of American seduction, right? Any mm-hmm. courtship ritual, regardless of um you know where you fall on the spectrum, the alcohol plays a role in the um, meeting, falling in love, having sex for the first time, the all that stuff. It's all like alcohol is the lubricant, you know. And the and that's one of the things that I found too with um you know. Early on, being a uh, being a drunk and being a druggie, I partied with a lot of queers because they knew how to fucking throw down like straight white boys didn't, you know. And it's because yeah. they they just gravitated to it immediately, and it became um, it, it it was stitched into their identity. It's who they were, you know. And it's because the um, they had to have it. They, it, it. It literally a crutch, you know the um what
1: people you know people talk about george santos and they're like how could he i was like oh no you don't understand if there's one thing queer people know how to do it's to pretend <laughs> to be somebody else like that is the one thing you have begged us to do like i think he's an asshole and like i, I like i I know that gay guy and i don't like him but like it, it, it's definitely like what we know how to do is to pretend to be somebody else because you require it of us to, to remain alive in some cases right? right or to remain at least physically safe or emotionally safe or for safety's sake you know there is something that that i think i've been trying to really drive home about summer of sass specifically and and that is how wildly unqualified i am for this and i think that like that is the part where if you see good you can do just do it and see what happens Right. Because I did never in a million years thought this is where I was going to end up when I started a GoFundMe six years ago. Right. And so it's really been something where I feel like people aren't good and we live in a, whether it's, you know, there's too many lawyers or everyone's kind of afraid to get involved, but we are now, it's too late for that. Tough shit. You got to get involved now, right? Like, that's just kind of where we're at. And so, figure out the way that works for you. It used to be I like to go tell racists and rednecks to go fuck themselves. And now I'm kind of aging into what if I just focus on making some people's lives better and, you know, try to create as much as many examples of queers winning and queer joy. And, you know, we got this $3.7 million donation and There's probably going to be a documentary made and, you know, there's all sorts of fun stuff happening, but not a lot of queer press. No one's really covering it. I sent out press releases. Mm. You would think it would be a big story, right? But if one of my kids got killed, it would be all over the papers, right? Because the media is involved in making sure we don't see too many queer success stories right now because trauma gets clicks, right? (laughs) So on top of it, just being generally bad, that generally bad is amplified in a way that it just never has been before. And it just keeps getting, you know, everybody wants to regurgitate the shitty news. And I honestly thought post pandemic, we were going to be in a little bit of a utopia. Everybody wants some fuzzy stuff, but it just got fucking worse.
0: (laughs) I would argue that the opposite is true, that you're actually wildly qualified to be doing exactly what you're doing. And I think that, all of the people in our friend group, that's one of the things that we know about you is that if it's um, if you're going up on stage last minute, if you're going up in front of six people, if you're going up in front of 600, if you're going up in front of a hostile crowd, if you're going in front of up in front of the hometown crowd, Becker can do it. Becker can handle it. Becker's um, got this. Oh, that, no, I'm going to cry. The, you, you, I mean, you are the you are like the comedy shortstop that you can play every position, you know, you can you can play every role. And the so I, I, I mean I think the takeaway for this is um you know not that you're wildly unqualified, but that if you if you have a dream and if you have heart and if you have determination, you can fucking do it. And you did it.
1: It is crazy. It, it is it is it is definitely something that and i and thank you for that because i do there are times where i go you know when this when this money came in it was like oh well i just want four more years of your career right like because that's a real but it's a real thing right like you do this thing where you know that like had I, had i been able to wrap it up and move on it would have been you know I, I, my comedy suffers there's a lot of I'm, i limited energy right Right. And so I'm fortunate that I live in a place that lets me have a weekly show that I can kind of mic and and like, I'm so fucking privileged, man. I'm so fucking blessed to like live where I live, have get to perform, have a board of directors who I will say this. If you ever find yourself starting a not for profit and you get a $3.7 million donation when no one ever thought in a million years that would ever happen, they all thought it was this cute little thing. And I kept saying, no, 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 we're going to get money, guys. Like we're gonna, there's too much money here to not get it. Right. Um, they will let you do kind of whatever the fuck you want after that. <laughs> That's awesome. My, I told my board, I was like, listen, you know, I didn't anticipate this. I'm happy to run it. I'm happy to scale it. I'll build the programming. I'll do all this stuff, but I'm still going to go on the road and do shows because if I don't, this will fall apart. Like one thing I learned with the helium project is I got the investment, I, whatever, but as soon as they, I stopped being able to be me fully, I hated it and I hated every second of it. And fortunately what we're teaching at summer of sass is authenticity so you know teaching kids to live their fullest most authentic self with confidence, so it kind of works into me being able to be like "I gotta go to altercation this year you know <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: this I mean this is one of the things that I struggle with because i um I'm teaching and I love teaching and people have suggested I should, that I should yeah, okay. I know, yeah. <laughs> people have suggested that I should teach more but the if I were to stop doing you know all the other shit that I do uh I couldn't do it, man. I, I have to do all those different things. But the let me burden you with a question that I often get, which is how yeah. does one feather together, um, you know, being this sort of groundbreaking queer advocate who has, you know, really shown that she's a heavyweight as far as uh, raising – raising funds getting things rolling the how do you uh feather that together with uh with the fucking fisting jokes with the boob and the butt and the dick jokes and the i remember i had a, another sewage leak here uh just yesterday and i was out in my yard that with a huge puddle of liquid feces and i was in that threw me that made me think of you because i it made me think of the first show that we did here with you and Megan DePonso and my mom hanging out in the front yard and you were telling a fisting joke about like taking a winter boot off, uh, like yes. someone, someone <laughs> prolapsing, like, t- like taking a winter mm-hmm. boot off and, and like the linings. St- and I looked at my over at my mom and she was slapping her leg and cackling. But there's this huge division in American culture between lowbrow and highbrow. And I it's like you're moving into the NPR phase of your career, but you're not yet done with the dive bar phase of your career? How do you keep that all together?
1: I find that the best thing of, you know, when I do Sandy Claus, I'm always, I say, she's the clause with flaws, right? That like, it's, it's, there's something in humanity that is broken and I am a broken person from a fucking weird society and i i don't know i i I think it's just that this is what it is one can do both of those things and the minute we figure that out about humans that like their one bad deed or their one dirty joke doesn't doesn't remove all the other good stuff like a human is both of those things like I've been really leaning into good deeds and dirty jokes lately because that's the core of what I am and dirty jokes don't negate my good deeds in any way shape or form. And I think the the better we get at remembering that humans are fucking complex and that like you cannot cherry pick like listen I was a pretty solid feminazi for Hotman am I allowed to say that still like you know one <laughs> of those. Uh, I don't I don't want to say cancel culture but I definitely... I mean, obviously, like, I have friends with all straight white dudes who push envelopes, and I find them to be some of the best men I, I know. But, like, I definitely, like, for a little while had gotten into a little bit of, like, oh, purity-checking everybody, and then I was like, whoa, 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 wait, we're not. We're just purity-checking moments, like, pulling a shitty moment from somebody. And, like, obviously, when you have a, a an elongated history of being abused or whatever, but, like, you know, people who say the wrong things or, like, people... I don't know, man. I just really... I, I do the best I can to be who I am and who I am is both of those things. And that's just what it is. And so far so good, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and I, yeah, I think I learned uh, that the best thing I can do is to be unapologetically myself. And it took a while to get that confidence and the money didn't hurt. This helped a lot when you like. Like, you know, helium was good when I was like, oh, I'm going to build a comedy scene and we're going to have a club and blah, 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 And I was like, you're crazy. No one's going to invest in Buffalo, blah, blah. I was like, no, you'll see. And then they did. And then I hated it. And I was like, Oh, I don't wanna do that again. That was like eight years of work that ended <laughs> up with like me just fucking crying and leaving. Right. Like, So when this came and, and happened, it was like, all right, you've done this before now do it better. Uh, make sure. And it, it empowered me to make decisions on my own behalf that I w- might not have made in the past. And I don't know, man. BNU works. It really, if you can, being authentic is kryptonite for some people, man. They just don't know how to process it because they're so conditioned to absorb what I should be doing to please them, right? I don't
0: know. It's, I don't be, know. Being authentic is being out. And that's one of the things that, um, you know, when, uh, when I stopped drinking, and then when I uh, I came out to my friends and was like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm an alcoholic, you know, that this is who I am, and publishing the long run, and then sort of sharing that story with everybody. When I did that, I was like, holy fuck, is this what it feels like to be gay and to have a whole secret life that, you know, the... You know, addicts and queers—we're good at fooling people because that's what we have to do to survive: is to conceal that secret life. You know, and then when I finally sort of was like, "Yeah, no, I'm a fucking alcoholic. This is the shit that I did. This is what I was like trying to hide." And if you didn't know about it, it's because I'm good at it. You know, the—it's a survival mechanism. The but, um, you know, and I, that I think is is one of the things that's so noxious about this fucking stupid drag law is that it's anti-authenticity it's you know it's it's in favor of secrecy and um cloistering people and when has when has it worked to to drive human beings underground you know, it's... I mean, it,
1: it works for the it works for the rich people, right? Like if it's I mean, it's that basic like, hey, you guys fight each other because we're going to run away with the fucking money. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's that's what it is. And they'll find a new, you know, just like you said, like it was Antifa and now it's dry queens and election time. There'll be a little bit more abortion, even though they just had a big win. Women are shit. So we can shit on them a little bit. Like, I don't know. It's it does feel like the last gasp of the patriarchy in a way. Where it's like, oh, this is you guys are really hanging on, huh? Okay.
0: <laughs> but, but also, dude, we said that exact same line in like twenty fifteen. Like this last gasp has been oh yeah. Gasping for a while, you know. The
1: well, I mean, in the grand scheme of world history, right? I mean, it's probably gonna take 70 years or so, 80 years. I don't know. All yeah, I, I mean know, that, here's that, what that I... is
0: that is a blink of a blink of the eye. And one of the things I say about racism is that like the humans be fucking. You know, people are are fucking each other and procreating. It is brown to the future. You can be as fucking racist as you want to be, and time will win, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, the the other thing I think that, you know, I believe it takes all attacks on all fronts to win any sort of battle. And so, like, you're going to need the people who are out there setting things on fire, and you're going to need the people who are writing legislation. You're going to need all of that. But I believe that where, as a country, we fucked up when we were dealing with civil rights is, you know, we legislated things that we didn't do the hard work of changing hearts and minds about. And that's, you know, great. You signed the civil rights act, but you didn't actually do any work to heal the communities that had these racist ideas and and fix them. And so I'm hoping that at least the the queer movement, you know, is embracing intersectionality and is, and is, recognizing that like we're all stronger together we can all work together and just legislation doesn't change hearts and minds right and that we gay marriage okay great except what happened No one went and did a ton of work in changing hearts and minds. And now this is the backlash, right? When you force behavior onto people and then you don't do any of the hard emotional work of communicating vulnerably and like figuring out, you know, the things that are making someone afraid, as you mentioned earlier, and like doing that work, then the kickback is this and turns out they're still in power. So this is going to suck for a lot of young people. (laughs) And old people. Apparently, it's old people, too. Apparently, some of the states are like, no, you don't get to be trans no matter how old you are, which is absurd.
0: That's, you know, that's one of the reasons why I try to talk to the end of every one of those fucking conversations about women swimming, you know, is because mm-hmm. I I do think that each of us... um you know, that we do have a responsibility and and particularly me, because I'm in a position of privilege and power to, to have straight white bros come to me and be like, Oh, you don't really believe that. Do you? And be like, all right, well, let's, let's take a drive or let's, let's talk this through. Let's go on a walk, you know, the, and um I mean, I, I think I'm, you know, Obviously, if they're if they're turning to their straight white bro for an explanation of uh, what trans is or why it is or isn't valid, that that's a problem right there. But, you know, what I've tried to do is just to just to plant a tiny little seed. You know, I was I was talking to a friend who's a musician and, uh, you know, he's a big fan of like, you know, 1940s country and Western. And I was like, when you when you listen to Patsy Cline, like, do you identify with her? you know, the walking after midnight. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, so that's, that's non-binary, right? You're, you're the woman in that song for the, <laughs> the, the two minutes and 35 seconds. You're a woman pining after her man. So that's, that's all it takes. Just, a, just that little pinprick of you're you're that woman in that moment for those seconds. That's it. You're, you're non-binary too, you know? And he, he looked crestfallen. But, yeah. but hopefully that's that's a little, like, grain of sand to for him to sort of mull over, you know? And and I, I think that's all it takes is just that little... just to throw a little bit of doubt in there.
1: No, it does, and it takes it coming from someone who they are comfortable with and who they relate to, someone who looks or sounds like them, right? Like, there is so much work to be done in allyship, and I think it it definitely you know, creates waves and and you will be in conversations I will never be in. And it doesn't even matter if we're in the same circles and if we're, you yeah. know, if we know the same people, you're going to be in conversations that I will never be in. I'm going to be in conversations that you will never be in. There's definitely, you know, I, I do think that there's not enough... <sighs> I'm not gonna say I don't think there's enough credit for white guys. That's definitely not what I'm gonna say. That is not a clip I will ever give you, Mishka. No. <laughs> <laughs> but there is there is a lot to be said for um speaking up and and just being able to poke someone's brain a little bit and being yeah. able to say, Well, what about what about this, you know? Um, I yeah. I, I, I'm trying real hard to just Assume everyone's doing the best they can with what they got. You know, that's what I'm trying to go in through life with right now. Because I think I, you know, I remember going to Louisiana and staying at a friend of mine's house who is a liberal by all senses of the word, particularly in Louisiana, and they had a gun in their nightstand, and I remember thinking to myself like, oh. Right. We are literally living in two different cultures of like you're living in a culture of fear and like, you know, I think that's the thing that northern city liberals don't realize is how much when you go into places in the south and into smaller markets where a lot of this legislation is happening, how much every hotel, every gym has Fox News on, how much the culture is conservative like I had queers in Shreveport tell me, it, it, way better to be a fag than a liberal. Like they were uh. dead set. Like there was nothing wrong with their sexuality as long as they were a Republican, right? And so, uh, it, I, I, I'm. That's the part that I still like. Am trying to get people to understand is that like we are talking about two very different cultures, and there are most certainly, you know, elitists in in the the big cities that don't understand what it's like to grow up in the South at all to this day, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, I don't know, man, we're real disconnected. I think we're just going to break up, right? Like we're just,
0: the country's just going to break up. It's too big. I, that, I mean, that's absolutely true. The But isn't that I, how
1: the EU, yeah, it's too big, right? Like that's yeah. how the, if you study world history, you either go dictatorship or you break up into smaller, more manageable governments,
0: right? Yeah. The b- Before this slips away, I want to, so I I'm, I'm always... Um, I'm always curious about sort of different models about, you know, the systems that we see sort of like occurring again and again throughout the world of like, and one is the, um, the drop of water in the pool, and then there's the concentric circles that move out. Another one is the the tree root structure, you know, the way that that happens. And then one of the things I've been thinking about lately is the guns and fear, right? The people want a gun to defend their home to keep themselves safer. Uh, does it keep them, keep them safer? I would say no, they would say yes. But if it, even if it does keep them safer, um, in, in that, um, in that instance, an individual makes their, their home safer and everyone else homes less safe. Right. So it's this thing that happens where the, the individual prioritizes themselves and, and then damages the group. Right. Right. And then, my my grandmother had 17 children um the that was not uncommon at the time and biologically sure. women can conceive children as young as what 11 12 and you know be bearing children up to uh mid 40s 50 um the a woman could be having children that entire time which would be great for propagation of the species and terrible for mm-hmm. her right? right so that's an instance where you know something is um, something is, uh, good for you know, society writ large. I'm doing scare quotes because it's the, uh, looking at it as a purely biological thing of propagation of species, um, mm-hmm. but the individual suffers and the, and, you know, and one of the things that, um, so I've been trying to think of things that benefit both the individual and. Um, the species and one of those things is uh self-care which is like what we were talking about like the revolutionary power of self-care wearing masks right wearing masks is a good way to protect you and to protect me and also by protecting ourselves we're, we're preventing this the spread of um covid and all kinds of other airborne illnesses if we're honest you know and the and that's like good for everybody the
1: but capitalism doesn't elevate selflessness. It, yeah, it doesn't. Right? Well, like, it, like it punishes just, it, if, if anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we live in capitalism, so... Yeah,
0: and, yeah <laughs> and that is the the pressure that bears down on everything. I'm
1: also low-key pissed that we can't, like, the in the same way that we're, like, binary, like, you can't just figure out how to take the best parts of all the economic systems we've had over the years, put them together, and make a fucking utopia. Like... I just can't. Could you imagine if somebody was just like, "No, no, no let's just keep driving the uh, the old Model T. Let's start there." Now I know we have Teslas, but we got a Model T. Let's just pull that one out. It's gonna, you know, let's it's just the way we're able to evolve in so many ways until it becomes really important for ourselves. You is know, th-
0: is this your way of announcing your run for uh, presidency in twenty twenty four?
1: i am think that uh i want to see like a kardashian run or like i would vote for john stewart and kim kardashian i i just feel like if the game of politics is what it is and trump made it what it is then we the left would kill if we would just stop pretending like we're going to put real politicians in there and get some figureheads because now we're just trying to win some control like let's just pack Congress with TikTokers.
0: Fuck it. Like, let's just. Like, yeah, I, I saw an article today votes. about. <laughs> I saw an article today about you know how Paulie Shore feels about like his fellow co-stars in uh, Encino Man, you know, winning you know huge awards that maybe Paulie Shore for president, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's a job he could do. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> All right. the, two things I want to. Uh, I two questions I want to uh, pin you down on before we wrap. The, okay. First one is um, how can people support summer of SAS? What, what, what do you, what do you need and how do we get it to you?
1: So this is still, believe it or not, this was the craziest thing I ever learned. If you get $3.7 million, all it means is that you have to raise a lot more money because now we went from like a $40,000 operating budget to like a $240,000 operating budget. Right. So like, Uh, my dream would be for every person who might have an extra five bucks a month to pitch it into this program like that to me like big money is great but this is a community built thing like in our town it's just something where like you know it it, it's an easy way to help young adults i mean we radically transform their lives. So most of it's money, and when you don't have money, it's talk. tell somebody our story. That's what I tell everybody. I was like, if you can do anything, it's tell someone about us. You can send them to the Welcome to Provincetown podcast. That really like gave a great in-depth look at how the program runs, what we do. You can go to the website at summerofsass.org and watch the videos of the kids and watch – And get a little queer joy for yourself. Like, everyone needs more queer joy in their life. Like, watch these kids take control of their lives and move towards a healthier place and and believe in themselves. And that's all we can do right now. It really just feels like save as many kids as you fucking can because it's hard out there.
0: It's hard out there right now. How – and I'm asking for everybody else and also for me, like, how do – Literally, how do we get the money to you? Do you guys have a Patreon? You should do a fucking Patreon. Uh, no,
1: so you can donate right at summerofsass.org. So yeah, go to there's summerofsass.org. There's go to summerofsass.org. Okay. Right on the main page, it's donor box. It's a a, a great platform. You can sign up for you know, a, a, you can give us a buck. You can give us a buck every month. You can give us a buck every year. You could you know whatever you want to do. Whatever is within your budget is how we feel about it. We really want you know. And if you don't have money, just spread the word. Spreading the word is really uh, as important as anything else because it not only maybe will get to someone who's going to donate, but it's also might get to some kid who needs to hear that there's some hope, right? And that's – that to me, that's a huge part of why we do this is to spread that kind of hope and belief that like if you dream it, you can do it, right? And I am a flawed, fucked-up human, and we pulled off some good shit, so like don't give up, you know?
0: (laughs) The you know I mean it's it's rare that I'll uh, shill for um for a cause but the but folks if you're listening the how many uh, how many streaming services do you pay for Hulu fucking Disney Plus Netflix Amazon Prime the Spotify YouTube all all those subscription services think about what about just signing up for ten bucks a month at uh, summerofsass.org to to sign up for like just feeling good about helping fucking human beings for 10 bucks a month it
1: feels really good good and then you get like and then you get like you know you get like random i don't i'm not a you're not going to get a bunch of newsletters you're not going to get all that but every now and again you'll get a good story you'll show up in your inbox and you'll and you'll feel good like it is definitely something that and to be clear like the kids pay rent Right. Like I want like we subsidize it. We make it affordable. Right. So like mm-hmm. we're also teaching responsibility, like none of this. And I think this is important for people to know that like none of this is a free ride. Like there is accountability through every step of this program, because that's what happens when you get to live in a mansion with a hot tub. And, you know, <laughs> you, you got to you. That's how you make good citizens is a sense of personal responsibility, a sense of community and a sense of self-love. And that's what we're trying to really teach these kids. It's not come here and just like, you know, don't do anything and you can live in this house. It's not that it's, are you ready to show up for yourself in your community? And if so, we'll help you.
0: Again, if you're listening at home, I didn't realize there was a hot tub involved. I take back everything a that hot I said. Tub. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this Christ. was a super, this was a super high end B&B. So this is like wealthy gay men B that someone bought and gave to us. Well is it, gave us a session that we is bought. It,
0: it. Is it too late for me to come out as queer for a summer so I can go and live in your fucking hot there tub?
1: <laughs> it's <laughs> not too a, late, a late, but you are too old for our age
0: group. <laughs> I'll be a, a late life pool boy. The and then the other I mean thing we is,
1: do need we do need a general maintenance guy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I can come and we'll pick out your the, outfits though. The, oh, oh, god! <laughs> um, Have you ever that,
1: seen "But I'm a Cheerleader"? No. All right, here's your queer homework. You're gonna love it. You're gonna <laughs> find the movie "But I'm a Cheerleader" and you're gonna watch it. Okay. A- and in it, uh, the it's a conversion therapy camp. Natasha Lyon, uh, uh Clay Duvall. Like this is like uh, uh, late '90s or mid '90s. Okay. It's a great movie. Um, and the conversion camp lady's son. Uh, that's the, that's who I want you to envision how we're going to dress you as our pool boy. Okay. <laughs> when you watch that movie, okay.
0: the, I, I want you to watch, uh, the movie goon. Okay. About about a hockey enforcer. And, Done. uh, and it's about a guy who like gets into a bar fight and then he's, uh, be, or he's drafted by, uh, by a farm league hockey team because of that. And, uh, and because that's of how, bar
1: fight. Oh, I love this movie.
0: Yeah. that's how I want you to dress. <laughs> All right, deal the, um, done.
1: I probably already have it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the and then the next question is um it has nothing to do with uh philanthropy or helping other people. The what are you personally doing this year uh that people can support? Where are you performing? What are you doing? How can we can consume and support your shit?
1: So, um, kristenbecker.com always, you know, I've been really, I have a weekly show in P-Town, Fruit Basket, that's going to run all summer. It's a, it's a Saturday up show. I have my solo show this year that I'm working on is called Man Pants. Um, and it's going to be kind of me diving into, uh, this place in between the genders that I exist in this weird vagina, having man pant wearing self. Um, and then, we're gonna do another comedy festival in September. So, End of the Earth Comedy is gonna come back. That is, I just had a meeting today. So, um, these are the things on the horizons right now. Is I've got the summer shows coming up. I'm working on a new solo hour, um, and then there's always Sandy Claus at Christmas. These are I've kind of worked out summer performing. Fall is usually some colleges, and then Christmas time, and then I usually take off January, February from shows, maybe do one or two, and then back at it. I'll be in Memphis on um, March 25th at Drew's. And then I'll be in Water Valley, Mississippi, which is a suburb of Oxford where Ole Miss is because there was a young queer person that was killed there this past summer. And I have a pretty good relationship just through Loose in the Bible, but with the small stand-up scene that's in Oxford, which is a great group of people. And they said they needed to do something to like elevate queer voices. And they asked me if I'd come to Water Valley, Mississippi. So if I go missing, start looking in Water Valley, (laughs) Mississippi. (laughs) And if I make it to Memphis the next night, come get drunk with me in Memphis, because that will probably happen at Drew's Bar. It doesn't matter how sober I've been. It doesn't matter what I've done with my life. If I walk into Drew's, I'm going to get drunk with Jen A, and it's going to be great. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs)
0: <laughs> becker i love you so much thank you so much i for love you this. man that we, we could have gone for another four hours here the it's uh i can't wait to see you again
1: i'm excited i'll see you soon hopefully let me know you never come up this way though you're not into into the, the boston area
0: <laughs> yeah no the the last time i the last time i booked a show in boston uh it was the spring of 2020 and you know what happened the right, I, I, right I, yeah I i'll come created, see you somewhere warm i created covid the but yeah. um thanks thank you so that. much for doing this and uh yeah i'll see if i don't see you anywhere else i'll see you at altercation
1: yes i will see you at altercation if not before awesome all right take have care. a good one thank you thanks for having me
0: of course see ya folks thank you so much for listening i know there's uh there's a million podcasts out there we appreciate you uh you spending your time with us the um if you're digging the show, if you're enjoying it, if you if these conversations uh, move you, make you laugh, annoy you, piss you off, um, please take a minute to, uh, to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it helps us grow the show, and it helps other people find it. Um, if you'd like to hear bonus episodes song demos, just sort of uh, ranting off the cuff uh, conversations all sorts of different uh, bonus material, writing advice uh, personal blog posts and stuff like that Uh, go to patreon.com slash Mishka Shabali we will be having monthly episodes up there with my mom and I answering uh, questions from readers and there's all kinds of good stuff there Uh, Thank you so much for supporting.